children's ministry, and I'm going to ask you to welcome Mark Prater to the platform this morning. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you preach. Appreciate you too. Thanks so much. Uh, good morning. Open your uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians three, and uh, while you're turning there, as as Keith mentioned, I want to give you a little bit of update. What's happening among our family of churches? I actually woke up real early this morning, just excited to be with you. Excited to be with you as a church to do this this one thing. And if, if, if I did this and didn't preach on prayer, I would go home satisfied. I, I want to thank you for your partnership with Sovereign Grace. And I, and I mean that. I, I want to I put feet to it for you to, to make sure you understand that my appreciation is sincere. You, Lakeview Christian Center, you strengthen us as a family of churches. Let, let me tell you why. Just your gospel presence here in the New Orleans area. And how you are reaching out to those who don't know Christ with the gospel strengthens our partnership. The fact that you're doing Alpha now. And some 200 people involved in your Alpha course right now. uh, Many of them unbelievers who don't know the Lord. That is just an expression of your heart as a church to reach those who don't know Jesus. And to bring them the good news of of Jesus Christ. Not, Not only that, you may you've made sacrifices as a church. You sent out Jeff Earhart. And a church playing team up around Covington, if I, if I got my geography right. Is that right? I got that right? Okay, good. And, and he's planting up there. And if you, if you hear uh, anything about what's happening in Jeff's church, there are new believers that are coming to Christ as a result of your, of your vision for the gospel to go forth and as a result of your heart for, for churches to be planted. You strengthen us as a family of churches. We look at Lakeview and other churches say we can learn from you. We want to be like you in that regard. Your, your, your long involvement with and heart to care for Rancho 3M, the fact that you're sending another team there, is just a wonderful expression, Keith, of, of your partnership with us in Sovereign Grace. And I just want to thank you for your partnership. The, the, the whole principle of partnership is in the Bible, that, that churches were just interdependent on one another because there's so much more we can do for Jesus together than any one church alone. That's what partnership is about. And that's what we're about in, in Sovereign Grace. And one of the ways that you see in Scripture that Paul really encouraged partnership and really stirred uh, churches for gospel mission is just to tell other churches what was happening. So he says to, Col- to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 6, that the, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. He wants them to know that the, the gospel that's bearing fruit in their lives and changing them, the gospel that's moving forth at that time in the Lycus Valley around Colossae that was reaching more people for Christ, that gospel power, that was happening all over the world. And that encouraged them. And so I want to tell you about some, some things that are happening in, in Sovereign Grace, sort of in the, in the church planning world. Um, as you know, the last couple of years in Sovereign Grace have been difficult years. And yet, in the midst of that, God has been good to us in a number of ways. One of, one of the things that God has done is that in the midst of our difficult times, He has revealed our weaknesses. And He's shown us where we need to grow. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to capture those, and we're trying to take those lessons learned into the future, so we'll be hopefully stronger and different than we were before. That's, that's very kind of God to do that. 
But in the midst of that time, those last couple of years, we, we planted eight churches. And we planted more churches in that period of time than the previous two years. I point that out to you because in the most difficult time in the history of our short history as a family of churches, we planted more churches than we did ever before in those two years. And that doesn't point to us because we were in our weakest moment. It points to the power of the gospel, doesn't it? That God's power is made perfect through our weakness. That God's mission to reach the lost isn't halted by our troubles. Rather, God works through our trials to bring about gospel mission. And so I want to tell you about, about some of those church plants. One of them, obviously, was, was Jeff's. Thank you again for your heart. We planted Redeeming Grace Church in the Nashville, Tennessee area, Franklin, Tennessee, uh, in particular, Franklin section of Nashville, Tennessee. It's being led by Dave Odom. It was sent from the Knoxville, Tennessee church. And Jill and I, Jill's my wife, by the way, we'll be married next year 35 years. I so much wish she were with me. Uh, she just makes me look a lot better than what I am. Uh, that's why I wish she was with me. But, but we were there that Sunday when they sent out this church planning team to Nashville. 49 adults, along with 49 million kids, stood on the stage. Uh, I'm serious. There's a lot of kids on that church planning team that sent them out to Nashville. And I just got an email from Dave Odom about three weeks ago, and he was just giving me an update. And he said, Mark, since we started our services last September... We have had new guests every single Sunday. And those, many of those guests are unbelievers. And get this, Mark, they're coming back, which is a surprise, and they're bringing unbelieving friends with them. It, it's, it's God drawing people to himself. It's what happens when we plant churches and we reach out with the gospel. So if you think of it, pray for, for Dave. We're, we've planted Redemption Hill Church in Austin, Texas, I was just on the phone with John Payne yesterday, who's leading that church plant, and God's just blessing it. I think they've got around 90 people already gathered. It's, a, it's in the Round Rock area of Austin, which I believe is in the north part of Austin, and uh, God's just doing a, a wonderful word there, a work there. We planted a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, I'm from the, I live in the Philadelphia area. I'm actually from the Midwest, but I, I, I live in the Philadelphia area. When I tell people that we plant a church in South Dakota, the people in Philadelphia are like, we have a South Dakota in the United States. They don't, they don't know that there's like United States east of, or excuse me, west of Philadelphia. But, but we planted Emmaus Road Church. Wonderful name, isn't it? I love that name. Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls. That, that church playing team was sent from Minneapolis to Sioux Falls. It's being led by Greg Durenberger. They just started their first services in December. And let me tell you about, uh, we're, we're planting three churches right now in the Philadelphia area. By the way, thank you for Sprules. He came to the Eagles. You realize that, right? So thank you for that. I guess you got him spot filled already, right, Peter? All right. Ten pound baby, ready to go. All right. Thank you for Sprules. Thank you for that. Um, three churches in the Philadelphia area that are being planted. Uh, one in West Philadelphia being planted by Andrew Cavillage. We sent that team from our church of about 30 people into West Philadelphia. If you know anything about Philadelphia, West Philadelphia is really rough. It's high crime area. It's a tough place. And so pray for that team's protection, but they're growing. They're meeting in a school there on, in, on Sunday morning. We've planted a church in Northeast Philadelphia. If you know anything about Northeast Philadelphia, there's a section called the Wissanoming section. So that's, they, they name neighborhoods up there. So this is the Wissanoming section of Northeast Philadelphia. It's being planted by Dan Burkholtz. Grace City Church. 
So there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a church in this Wissanoming section, a dying church in this part of, of northeast Philadelphia, and they hear that Dan's going to plant a church there. And so they come to Dan and they said, Dan, we want to we give you our church building. Would you like to have it? Now, church planners love questions like that. And for us, it was an assessment. Now, let's see how Dan answers that question. Because if he says no, there's no way we're going to approve him as a church planner. Of course you take the building, right? So they, 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 they're given this building. And um, they begin to work on it last April. And they're just about a year ago. And they start working on it. And people in the neighborhood, they start to notice, man, there's new, something new going on over there. So the neighborhood, neighbors are coming over. And they're asking what they're doing. And they have these opportunities to share the gospel. Even before they start Sunday services, there were two people that were saved. Two people born again because the gospel was being shared. And they were baptized in Ian McConnell's church, uh, another section of northeast Philadelphia. From That's the church that, that Dan's being sent from. And I was just there in January, and they've grown from about 30 to 60 uh, in, a, in just a few months. People coming from that neighborhood, just walking, many of them, because of that gospel presence to that building in, in that community. It's, it's a wonderful work. And then we're planting a church in South Philadelphia. So South Philadelphia is a little bit different. North, Wissanoming section I just described is blue collar, row home after row home, kind of a little bit of a rough place. South Philadelphia is a little bit different. I mean, you saw Rocky and he's run through the Italian market. That's South Philadelphia. All right, that's kind of the South Philadelphia feel. Jeff Betcher is planning in South Philadelphia. He's being sent from his church in Marlton, the Cherry Hill, New Jersey area, which is right across the river from Philadelphia, into South Philly. And there's about 40 people actually moving into South Philly, which is no small thing because there's reurbanization that's occurring in Philadelphia right now, probably like here in New Orleans where people are moving back into the, into the city. So that's brought housing costs up just a little bit. But people are going. They have faith to plant this church. And uh, they, they've got this area of South Philly that they've targeted. Now get this. They, they found this vacant building. And they thought, man, if we could have that building for our meeting place, that'd be great on Sundays. But if we could have that 24-7, we would turn that into a community center. We'd put a coffee shop in there. We would just be a way to reach and serve the community. So they go to the landlord, and, who also lives in that section of Philadelphia, and they they tell them what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to plant a church, but they're looking more for just a, than a Sunday meeting place. They're looking for a, a building where it can be a community center and serve the community, and they can put a coffee shop in. Well, the landlord gets so excited about their vision and what they want to do, he's given $25,000 of his own money to make the deal happen so they can have that. And I don't know if that guy's a believer or not, but he's participating in gospel mission, that's for sure. And we are very grateful for that. So it's just an evidence of the favor of God. It's evidence that God is with us and that God, God still saves. And he wants to seek and, and save the lost. So I share some of those things with you to hopefully encourage you in your gospel work here. In your gospel outreach here. In your gospel mission here. Um, it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of. God doesn't need us. God could save people without us, right? Gospel work never depends upon man. But it is a work where he does choose to use man. And what a, what a joy we have in participating in gospel mission. And I'm so glad that we get to do that together as a family of churches in sovereign grace. Amen. Let's keep praying for one another. Let's keep supporting one another. Let's keep serving one another. And let's reach those who don't know Christ with the gospel. Amen. All right. Ephesians 3. 
Have you ever noticed how genuine Christianity takes the way we instinctively think and live and it turns it upside down? You ever notice that? The Bible is filled with truths that, that challenge us, challenge the way we think and challenge the way we live. For example, we don't instinctively think that the last will be first, yet it's the way that Jesus taught us to live, isn't it? We don't instinctively think that weakness is a good thing. When we think about weakness, we think, well, that's that's not so good for us. Let's be honest. You and I, if you and I were God, you and I would have never come up with this plan to send the Son of God to the cross to die this torturous, humiliating death in weakness as the way to reveal the power of God. None of us would have thought of that. We can instinctively think that weakness is not good for us personally. And yet the Bible challenges that. The Bible tells us that God's power is made perfect in our what? In our weakness. We can instinctively think that as as we mature and as we grow as Christians, what should be happening in our life is that our, our weaknesses should be diminishing. And yet as we study the people in Scripture, we find the opposite is true. For Paul, the man who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, if you just study the, the track of his maturity as you read his letters, he began his ministry and he called himself a sinner. And yet, near the end of his ministry, some of the last letters he's writing, he calls himself the chief of sinners. If, if you study Paul's life, if you just read through First and Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians in particular, he often uses the word weakness. In other words, as Paul matured as a believer, there was a growing awareness of, an embracing of, a living content with his weaknesses. But he just didn't do that. One of the effects of Paul maturing that way is he turned those weaknesses into fervent and desperate prayers. And we know that because many of Paul's prayers are preserved for us in Scripture. We're going to look at one of those prayers today here in Ephesians chapter 3. And here's, here's as, as we read through these verses, 14 through 21, in just a moment, here's essentially what we're going to see. Prayer petitions God for power. Prayer petitions God for power. The title of my message is Discovering God's Power in Prayer, and we're going to begin reading in, verses, in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. You know, as we go to pray, I praying for a time yesterday and again this morning, and there's been a lingering impression, a couple lingering impressions I, I arrive here in the pulpit with. One of those is that there are some of you that are sitting here that are walking through some really difficult times in your life right now. Trials that you never thought you would find yourself in. And one of the effects on you is that you've doubted a bit the love of God for you. And I believe the Lord wants me to pray for you. I believe that the Lord is going to fill you with His Spirit today and He's going to remove that doubt. And I believe He wants to secure you more. I believe He wants to strengthen you in the great love that Christ has for you. And so as I go to pray now, I want to pray for you. So let's pray. Lord, we read these words from the pages of our Bible and we know it's a living word that transforms our lives. But at the very beginning, we just want to say we need the Spirit's help. And so I pray that you would fill all of us with your Holy Spirit. And we ask for the work of the Spirit that would bring these words to life. Not just in our understanding intellectually, but bring them to life in our heart. Use these words to change us and transform us and and to help us grow. Lord, I pray for those that are sitting here that, that are really weary and tired because of the trial that they're walking through. Some of them have just not experienced your love in a fresh way. Some of them are even doubting your love a bit, would you in particular fill them with your Spirit? Would you minister to them? Would you remove doubt? Would you strengthen them and secure them in your love as we spend this time together? We pray for this work of the Spirit because these things that we pray for, man cannot do. And so we ask that you do them. And as you do them, as the Spirit works, may it all be evident to to us that you are here among us and that you are at work caring for us. And as we drive home, may we just rejoice even more, giving you all the glory and all the praise. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul begins this prayer. He begins verse 14 with these three words, for this reason. So we've got to stop there. We've got to ask the question, for what reason? For what reason is Paul praying this prayer? Well, I think we find our answer to that earlier in the chapter, chapter 3, in verses 7 and 8. So look with me at verses 7 and 8. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Note the reference to power there. By the working of his power, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, 
This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul writes those verses and he makes a reference to his own weakness. He calls himself the very least of the saints. And yet out of that weakness, he's been praying for power. And what was the purpose of the power that he's been given? It is for the purpose of declaring to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, Paul received power for gospel ministry and gospel mission. And and having that experience of power that he received from God, he was eager to pray for the Ephesians that they would receive that same power for their gospel ministry and for their gospel mission as well. In other words, the reason that Paul is praying this prayer for the Ephesians is he wanted them out of their weakness to cry out for power, to receive power so that they as a church could reach the lost with the gospel and continue to apply the grace that the gospel provides so they would be transformed and become more and more like Christ. Isn't that a great reason to pray? Gospel mission and gospel ministry. And you, Lakeview Christian Center, you can pray this way. You can pray for this reason that God would give you power for gospel ministry and for gospel mission. So, believing that you want to pray that way, here are three things that we learn about prayer here in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Three things. Number one, here's the first thing. Prayer expresses humble dependency. Prayer expresses humble dependency. We see that in verses 14 and 15. Paul says, for this reason, so we know what reason he's praying. What does he do? I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, now the bowing of the knee here is not formality. The the bowing of the knee here, here, it it communicates a, a reverence and an awe and a worship to God. This is this is true humility. See, true humility, first of all, isn't about our morality. True humility first isn't about how we relate to one another. True humility when it comes to prayer isn't about the words that we use. True humility begins with the heart that is dispositioned before God and stands in awe and reverence. True humility begins with a a vertical relationship with God who sees God for who He really is. And who is He? Well, We we learn here in, in verse 15 that He is or 14 and 15, that he is the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So what what does that mean? that, That is a reference that Paul is referring to God as the creator of the universe. That he created every family in heaven, meaning he created angels. Angels are created beings. And that he created us. He created every family that is on earth. In other words, prayer then is a right reflection of the creature-creator relationship. Prayer is an expression of humble dependency by the finite, by the created, upon the infinite and the omnipotent, and upon the creator himself. It's the right disposition. Prayer is the right disposition. It's the right expression, expression of the weak, of the finite, to the Almighty, 
to the one who has created the universe. Prayer says, Creator, God of the universe, do in your power what I can't do for myself. That's what prayer is. Prayer is really the cry of the weak to the strong. That's what we see there in verses 14 and 15. Have you ever noticed that God at times sovereignly brings difficulties and trials and challenges into our lives for the purpose of reminding us that we are finite? For the purpose of reminding us that we are the created? It was about, um, I believe about seven years ago now, uh, our middle daughter Kelly uh, who's now married. We have three daughters, by the way, 34, 32, and 27. Six grandkids and uh, two on the way. And so when we're together, it's bedlam, but it's so much fun. So this is our middle daughter who was living at home at the time, and she, she, she just got sick with the flu. And it didn't really resolve, and she got to a place where she was dehydrated. And so we took her to the emergency room. They, they needed to, to hydrate her. And as they do in emergency rooms, upon admission, they they drew blood, and they found that her, her red blood cell count and her platelet count was very low. They didn't have any reason to explain why, so they admitted her to our local hospital, Paoli Memorial Hospital. They did a, a number of tests. They, they couldn't find out what was wrong, and yet, over those next couple of days, her red cell count and her platelet count, it just continued to drop. Got to a serious place, and I think she was admitted on a Friday. By Sunday, they had made the decision to transfer her into Philadelphia to the University of Pennsylvania. It was a Sunday evening, and Jill and I drove down following the ambulance down to the University of Pennsylvania. She got admitted. It was about 11 o'clock, 11.30 in the evening. We, we drove back home. We went to bed, only to receive a phone call about uh, 2.33 in the morning. I picked up the phone, and it was a a nurse on the other side of the phone, and she said, Mr. Prater, she said, your your daughter has been admitted into intensive care. She's in real crisis, and we need you to come. Jill and I, we leapt out out of bed. We got dressed. We're driving in our our van down I-95, and I'm holding Jill's hand, and I'm praying a prayer that no parent ever wants to pray. Lord, spare the life of my daughter. See, it was was in that moment that I I met my limitations. It's in that moment, in that trial, I was aware that I, I was finite. If I could somehow work in such a way that Kelly and I could trade places, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Any parent would. If I had some sort of power on my own to touch Kelly and heal her, of course I would have done that, but I, I don't have that kind of power. I have many weaknesses. See, God brings trials. He brings difficulties in our lives to remind us that we are the creature, that we are the finite, that in those moments of weakness, when we don't know what else to do, when we can't do anything else, the only thing we can do is pray. You have your trials. You have your difficulties. You can tell your stories. Maybe your story is a story of trial that's being written 
right now. You're in that place. You've been in that place to create in you and to create in us a humble dependency that says to the Creator, do what I can't do. And so we fall on our knees and we cry out to our Father. By the way, the the falling on the knees not only communicates a reverence. If you study the the original Greek, the falling on the knees, it communicates a, a fervency. And, and urgency that, that marks Paul's prayer. And so what we learn from this prayer is we need to, in humble dependence, fervently and dependently and passionately pray often to our Creator, to the Father in heaven, because He is eager to answer those prayers. So let, let me ask you a question. Where in your life do you need God's power right now? Where in your life do you need God's power? That's where God is calling you to pray. Prayer is an expression of humble dependency. Second thing we learn from this prayer, second thing we learn about prayer, number two, prayer is a plea for power. Prayer is a plea for power. Now, I want you to be convinced that the God you pray to is able to answer your pleas for power. And I want you to be convinced by that, not by my words, but by the word of God. So let's go to verse 16. How do you know that God can answer your prayers for power? Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So how do you know that God is able to answer your prayers for power. He's able because the Bible tells us he has, he has riches of glory to draw from. You say, okay, great. What, is, what does that mean, Mark? What are those riches of glory? Well, the word glory, as it's used here in verse 16, it, it means all of God's attributes. It means God's It means God's goodness and his strength and his kindness and his wisdom and his grace and his power. In other words, God who is infinite has these infinite supplies of goodness and grace and kindness and power and strength that he's eager to give us if we only ask for them in prayer. God's attributes that are available to us is what Paul defines as power here in these verses. And God is eager to display his power through our lives when we pray and we ask God for his power. And keep in mind who God is. God who is infinite, he has infinite power. In other words, his power is greater than any need you have. It's greater than that. God's glory, the riches of glory being talked about here, is inexhaustible. In other words, God can never be impoverished by our needs. We keep bringing our needs to him, and he, re- he reaches down into these riches, into this well of riches of his glory, and he gives us kindness, and he gives us grace, and he gives us love, and he gives us strength, and he gives us power, and he gives us wisdom right when we need it. He can't be impoverished by our needs. In our weaknesses, in our trials, we have infinite supplies of God's attributes available to us. If we will just humble ourselves and ask God for this kind of power. 
And I grew up in the, the Midwest. Both Jill and I grew up in the Midwest. We grew up, uh, I, I was born in Peoria, Illinois, if you know where Illinois is. Until, we lived there until I was about eight or nine, and then we moved to, to central Indiana, grew up in Marion, Indiana. And so when I was a young boy, my, my grandparents had a farm just right outside of Peoria, Illinois. And I loved, as a, as a boy, to go out there and to work beside my grandfather on this farm. I'd go out there and I'd play on this farm. And I can just remember these hot summer days in central Illinois where I'm out there working with my grandfather and I'm out there playing and just get, just get you know, sweaty and hot and I'd get thirsty. And there was something I remember about my grandparents' farm. They, there's a part of a farm right by a shed that they had this pipe coming up out of the ground. And on top of that pipe, there was a, a spigot the handle on it, and tied to that handle was a, a tin cup. And I could go there anytime, and I could lift up on that handle, I could take that tin cup, and I could just fill that with water, cold water. That water was always there. It, it was always refreshing. I, I would fill that cup up, and I would just drink that water down, and it always strengthened. It always satisfied. It always refreshed. I tell you that story because that's what we do in prayer. We, we take our tin cups and we reach down in the well of the infinite riches of his glory. And we just scoop it up and we drink it down. And God gives us his power and his strength and his wisdom and his love and his care. And it strengthens us. It refreshes us. It gives us faith to continue to walk the, the Christian life. You see, a right view of God and who he is and what he makes available to his people, it transforms the way you think about prayer. Prayer moves from duty to delight. Who wouldn't want to go and drink that down, huh? As we ask for God to give us his infinite riches of his glory. Now, as I read through these verses, every time I read these verses, I read these verses and I say, okay, Mark, if that's true, then why don't I pray more? Right? I mean, come on, as Christians, when it comes to prayer, we all think we don't pray enough. Let's, let's be honest, right? Why don't we, if this is true here in Ephesians 3, why don't we pray more? I was wrestling with this question, and I had a, a pastor help me with this. You actually might know him. His name is Charles Spurgeon. Yeah, he's, he's not around any longer. But through his writing, he still can pastor us. This is what Spurgeon said. It is strange how little we make of the spiritual blessings which God gives us. But it is stranger still how little use we make of God himself. Though he is our own God, we apply ourselves but little to him and ask but little of him. How seldom do we ask counsel at the hands of the Lord. How often do we go about our business without seeking his guidance? In our troubles, how constantly do we strive to bear our burdens ourselves instead of casting them upon the Lord that he may sustain us? This is not because we may not. For the Lord seems to say, I am thine soul. Come and make use of me as you will. You may freely come to my store. And the oftener, the more welcome. And then Spurgeon says this. It is our own fault if we make not free with the riches of our God. 
Helpful, right? Convicting, yes. Inviting, oh yes. Let us, brothers and sisters, through prayer, let us, let us, let us make more of, let us enjoy more of the riches of our God. So let me ask you another question. Are you enjoying this? Are you enjoying and apprehending the infinite riches of God's glory in your life through passionate pleas for power? Now, what's so interesting about Paul's prayer is he tells us what happens when we do pray for power. Do you know what happens when we pray for power? Look with me again at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Here's what happens. Through his spirit in your inner being. So we're told just in in that verse that when God answers our prayers for power, he, he gives it to us through the work of the Holy Spirit and it works in our inner being. This is helpful because it can tell you and I whether we are experiencing God's power in, in our life or not. In other words, how do you and I know if God's power is at work in our inner being, so to speak, to use the, the language there in verse 16? How do we know that? Well, verse 17 tells us, so that, here's how we know, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when God's Infinite power is given to us through the work of the Spirit. It it works in our inner being. And one of the ways that God's power works in our lives is it, it transforms us. It changes us over time and makes us more like the one who dwells within us. That meaning Jesus Christ. In other words, one of the ways that we can know whether we are receiving God's power and enjoying God's power is that over the course of our life, there's this transforming effect that we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, like the one who lives in us. D.A. Carson says it this way, this is a plea for power, power to be holy, power to think, act, and talk in ways utterly pleasing to Christ, power to strengthen moral resolve, power to walk in transparent gratitude to God, power to be humble, power to be discerning, power to be obedient and trusting, power to grow in conformity to Jesus Christ. You see, when the, when the Bible talks about gospel power, it's not some abstract concept. It has real life to it. Gospel power, God's power comes and it changes us. And it transforms us and it makes us more like Jesus. So our need for God's power not only emerges out of our trials and our difficulties, our need for God's power emerges out of the fact that indwelling sin still remains and that in those moments, what do we need? We need God's power to be at work and change us. And for us to grow, brothers and sisters, we've got to be convinced of this. We've got to be convinced that he who began a good work in us will do what? He will complete it, won't he? Through the power that is working in us. Now, I I think it's important not to read quickly by these verses. Here's why. I think most of us, I would almost venture to say, maybe even all of us, can be vulnerable at times to think wrong thoughts about God. We can. I did this week. We, we, we can find that 
we can hit a, a few several days where life is just difficult and life is just hard and challenging and we're discouraged and we're confused and we just want to know where God is. Maybe you've had a, a week like mine where I just felt like this past week, to be very honest with you, I just sinned a lot for some reason. I reacted to some difficult situations in one of two ways, self-righteousness or self-pity. I did. I was in the shower this morning. I wasn't even thinking about the message. I was just like, Lord, I'm so grateful for your forgiveness. I'm so grateful for your grace because, man, I really messed up a lot this week, it seems. In those moments, we can be vulnerable to think that God is disappointed with us. We can think in those moments that God just kind of backs away, kind of kind of folds his arms and says, you, you kind of work out what you're working through and let me know when you're done. We can be vulnerable to think those things about God. This verse sa- says to us those are not right thoughts about God because Christ dwells in us. Christ dwells in our inner being. God sees us as he sees Christ. And so in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your wrestling with sin, in the midst of your confusion, he sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. And he was eager to lavish you with his love. See, if you're, if you're here this morning, and, and maybe you've been reflecting on this a bit recently, you're thinking, boy, I'm just not, I'm just not growing as a Christian, the way that I really want to grow. That's a wonderful desire. But your ability to to grow, to move out of your frustration, doesn't depend upon you. It depends on God's power working in you. So God has delivered you into that frustration because he wants you to turn that frustration and that, that, that sense of wanting to grow more into pleas for power. And God's going to give it to you and he's going to help you to grow. Now, Paul's not done praying. We, we see one other effect that happens to us in these verses that can tell us whether God's power is at work in our lives. So we see the transforming effect and becoming more like Christ. But there's one other thing that happens that we see there in verses 17 and 19. We're going to start reading the second half of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we know from the language that's being used there that Paul is writing to Christians because he's using this language of you being rooted and grounded. It's language that is foundational. It tells us that the people that he's writing to have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. They've repented of their sin. They've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They are people who have received the gospel. They are people who know the love of God through Christ in the, in the gospel. So it's interesting then that he then prays that they would receive power so they would know more the love of God. Why? I mean, don't they know the love of God already? Haven't they experienced it already in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why then does Paul pray for power so they would know even more the love of God? 
Well, remember verses 14 and 15. Remember, you and I are the created. You and I are the finite. These verses assume that we have limitations of knowing and grasping and understanding and experiencing the infinite love that Christ has for his people. It's why he he prays there that we would know the unknowable, that we would know this love of Christ that he says surpasses knowledge because, because we are finite. And so he prays, he prays that they would receive power so that they would know the unknowable. Now, it's, it's important to understand this verse. It's important that we interpret it right, that we exegete it right, to use a theological term. This is not a request that we would love God more. It's not what he's praying. It's rather, it's a plea for power that we might know more the love that Jesus Christ has for us. That's an important distinction, isn't it? That you and I would know more this Christ, this love that Christ had for us. And so for us to know that, we need power to grasp and enjoy and appreciate this infinite Love of Christ. And so we need to pray for power. Here's what he's saying to the Ephesians. When it comes to knowing how much, lo- how much Jesus loves you, don't, as- don't, don't think that you've ever arrived. That's what I would say to you, Lakeview Christian Center. That's what I'd say to myself. When it comes to knowing how much Jesus Christ loves you, never arrive. Rather, Go before the Father in bended knee and pray for power so that you can know even more the height and the, dre- and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love that Christ has for you. That's why when I was praying this morning, that group of people that came to mind where you're just walking through a really tough time right now. And in the midst of that, God feels distant to you. You wonder where he's at. You're not experiencing his love in the way that he wants you to experience. For you today, God wants to meet with you. He wants you to know this this great power, this great love that he has for you. So pray for power. I just... uh, I just brought another impression into the pulpit. I just prayed when we were singing. Just, Lord, show me where in this, in this sermon do you want me to share this, if I shared it all, but I believe he wants me to. And there's a particular trial. Just for the last two days, I've had this impression that there is at least one pregnant woman among us, maybe even in the early stages of pregnancy, and you're worried about your baby. That's your trial. That's your difficulty. And God wants to, he wants to bathe you in in his love. He wants to carry you through the pregnancy, sustained by the love that is infinitely yours. Now, when God answers our pleas and our prayers for power, there's a, there's a third effect. There's a third thing we see. This is the third point. What is the third thing we learn about prayer from this prayer? Number three. Prayer reveals the glory of Christ. It reveals the glory of Christ. Look how he ends his prayer in verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. Get that? He's able to do more than what you and I can ask. 
or think according to what? According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So answered prayer reveals to those around us that God is not only able to answer our prayers, He's able to do more than we ask. He's able to do more than we think. That verse right there alone says, pray big prayers. Pray great prayers to God. And He answers those prayers in a way that it's clear that His power is at work in us, showing those around us the glory of Jesus Christ. And so husbands, when, when we love our wives sacrificially in the way that Christ loved the church, when we lay down our lives as husbands for our wives, when the world sees that, they see something different, we reveal that the power of Christ is working in us and we reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. When we as believers truly live a different life, When we live like Christ in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves, and we really genuinely serve others, the world notices, says something different there, and we reveal the glory of Christ as His power works in in us. When we as parents, when we are patient with our children, when we are tempted to be angry, when God gives us strength in those moments, we reveal the glory of Christ to those around us. See, by the way, much of our growth, I believe as Christians, occurs in the mundane of day-to-day life. We can think at times that we need these big events with God and that's, those are the big changes that turn us. It's not that. Most of our growth occurs in the mundane of the day-to-day. It's in our homes, raising our kids, in our jobs, going to work, doing what we do in the day-to-day and it's there where we need God's power. And it's there where God's power works. And it's there that God's power transforms us. And it's there that God reveals the glory of Christ as his power works in us. When you and I, when we walk through trials, knowing the love of Christ, when we walk through difficulties and challenges at peace, sustained by the love of Christ, when we respond to difficulties different than the world does, They take note of that. They say that something is different and we reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, prayer is a plea for power and when God answers our pleas for power and that works in our lives, it reveals the glory of Jesus Christ. I've I've ended this message before and I, I haven't finished the story regarding Kelly. And so I remember one Actually, I think it was the only time I did it because this woman came running up to me and she said, what happened to Kelly? In fact, she got, she, got her, she got her pointer out. She said, you don't ever preach that sermon again without finishing that story. I said, yes, ma'am. So, just to prevent you pointing your finger at me, I'm joking. Kelly was in the hospital for a total of 35 days. God was merciful to her and gave her what she didn't deserve. He spared her life. I remember when she was in the hospital at the time, Jill and I were up there all the time. 
there was a particular doctor, he was a nephrologist, that's a kidney doctor, who just uh, was on Kelly's rotation for a time and got to know her. They both liked baseball. They got talking baseball. And even when he was off her rotation, he would, he would come back in and he would see her quite often, just see how she was doing, just talk with her. I remember one morning, it was early in the morning, I was up there with Kelly, just sitting next to her bed, and he comes in, and he says, Kelly, how, how you doing? And if, if you, she said, I'm doing good. If you looked at her, you just thought, no way. She didn't look good. But that's what she said, no, I'm, I'm doing good. And he looks at her and he says, why won't you complain? He's, he's, he's a little irritated. She kind of looked at me. He looks over at me. I'm like, oh, man, don't, don't draw me into this. He's like, why won't she complain? I'm like, well, ask her. <laughs> Before he had walked in that morning, Kelly was just sitting there doing her devotions. She was just reading her Bible. Her Bible was open on her bed. And she began to explain to him why she was doing good, really doing good. She began to tell him about the peace that she has with Christ because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He kept coming back and they kept talking. She shared the gospel with him. She invited him to church. We don't know whether this doctor was ever saved or not, but we do know he heard the gospel. And I was able to say to Kelly, look how God used maybe your weakest moment in all of your life. He used it so that through your weakness, the power of Christ could work through you. The, the fragrance of Christ was there. And it was drawing this man back. Kelly's not that good. I'm her dad, I know. But in her weakness, she prayed for power. And God worked through it. And God made Christ's love, certainly who Christ is, apparent to this man who needed to hear it. Let me, let me go back to my, my first question I asked you. Where in your life do you need God's power? And that is the place where God is calling you to prayer. And as you pray, oh, enjoy the riches of his glory. Amen? I want to close by just praying. Seems like to be inappropriate not to pray at the end of a message on prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our salvation in Christ. We thank you for the many blessings and gifts that we have in the gospel. That through Christ alone we can approach your throne of grace without fear of judgment and receive the riches of your glory. I pray, Lord, again for those that are here walking through just a very difficult time in the midst of trial. Those who don't feel sustained by the love of God. Those who have doubted the love of God. And whoever they are, Lord, I pray now, fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray for anyone who is walking through an, a pregnancy, worried about their child. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit works in both groups' lives, 
We pray that you would lift doubt. We pray that you would lift worry. And we ask that you would flood them with your love. We pray for power that they would know even more how much Jesus loves them. Help them on this day not just to know, but to experience the height and the breadth and the depth and the width of the great infinite love that Christ has for them. And as they walk, continue to walk through this difficulty, we pray, Lord, that you would give them power. We, we pray that you would give them strength. We pray in particular that the love of Christ would carry them and sustain them and saturate them so that they walk through it with peace. They walk through it with joy. They walk through it with contentment carried by the love of Jesus. And as you do that great divine work in their life, through their life, give Jesus much glory. We pray that in his great name. Amen. Thank you.